0: Thank you, Lord, for this morning's um, time. Thank you that we can be in and out of the heat. Thank you uh, for your holy word. Thank you for the materials, uh, the book uh, that we're basing a lot of this off of. Thank you for whiteboards. In Jesus' name, amen. I was actually on the—I re- did, as PJ notes frequently, I did—I listened to all the messages, all the sermons, all the Sunday schools when they're recorded, when I'm gone, and uh, I was— It pleased me to hear that you all took action. He said he was bullied into using the whiteboard and uh, made me very proud of my church family. (laughs) So, wow. So um, anyway, just a reminder because I want to make sure we have correct attribution. You know, a lot of this, the majority of this material is based on the the book Strange New World by Carl Truman. So that's that book right there. I'll be reading a couple things out of that. I will say uh, in listening to the class that PJ did last week, um, walking through the details of the LGBTQ plus, you know, the movement, the community, and all that, it, it was really helpful for me because, you know, I don't take any time to learn about those things. Uh, it's not of great interest to me, and so I don't spend a lot of time doing that. But, um, you know, he, was, he took pains to to point out their similarity, which I think it sounds like, I, you know, we probably mostly think of that as one group. If we're not in that group, then we look at that group and say, oh, that group is all together. But I think probably much more importantly, as he was going through, showing how actually they are very dissimilar, and not only dissimilar, but they're outright incompatible. And when you start comparing, um, I, if you want to call it logic, it, it becomes illogical, um, even nonsensical, when, when you start comparing uh, the groups to each other. And... You know, I, I think it's helpful to do that, to go through that exercise, because when we look at them as just one big group, maybe at least I'll just apply it to myself, I can come up with scriptures that refute this particular position or uh, some scriptures that refute that particular position. But it was helpful to me to hear the details about some of those, some of those areas because it shows how their perspective just collapses under its own weight it can 't it can 't possibly stand um, because of how irrational it is so they not only fail to square with the truth of god 's word they lack rationality so what we 're aiming for today is to take the background that PJ presented last week um, specific to those groups and to try to associate them, to, to find connections to what that means to us here today, to what that means to us in the local church. And so I'm going to kind of refer to these things you see on the whiteboard. I'll explain what each of them are. Uh, we'll just kind of hit them as we go. And then we have a lot of scripture today, praise the Lord, um, to help us think rightly about these things. So what's important um, of course, is that we don't want to just ma- mount a case for how it is that people are sinning against others, right? We, we, we don't want to just stay at a distance and say, oh my goodness, look, at, look how sinful those people are and that group is and what it is that they're doing so that we can just build a case to see, okay, yeah, they're sinning and in uh, way one, and they're sinning in way two, and look at the way they do that. They're sinning over here in that way as well. We always want to connect that to ourselves and to the church and to the Christians that are right here in this church. So I want to start by um, talking about a phrase that we find in the Declaration of Independence that reads, here, let me read the... No, I actually have it on my phone. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, which, by the way, is my acronym up there, LLPH. That just stands for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Who can tell me who said it? Wayne, what do you got? Thomas Jefferson. Give that man a gold star. So that is exactly right. Thomas Jefferson is the person that said that. And um, when we are thinking, remember our whole goal of this series is to kind of investigate that question of how did we get here? We already know that we're here, and we've been looking at how did we get here, and we started way back um, uh, several centuries ago, and we've gotten up to something that is as current and relevant as it could possibly be with what PJ presented last week. And when we ask that question how did we get here, and how does all that apply to what we're doing today? We see that there are connections to this concept of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think on its uh, see, this is great. I can move around. Um, thank you, Jacob, for fixing the lapel mic. Um, so, when we look at this principle right here, and we think about that concept that um, that we've talked about before, the phrase uh, expressive. Make sure. Ex- yeah, expressive individualism. So, you know, what, how you feel and what you think about yourself and, you know, how how you gain authenticity. When you think about that principle, it seems, in my opinion anyway, that just if you don't think very deeply about it, it kind of squares with this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, what's wrong? Who doesn't want to be happy and If pursuing happiness means that you want to identify as a different gender or, uh, you know, you want to be, you want to feel authentic and things like that, it it seems like, well, what's wrong with that? It seems to kind of be consistent with um, one of these founding uh, mantras. However, Thomas Jefferson himself, as far as we know, is not a Christian. And even he, when he penned those words, had certain boundaries in mind. So here's a quote that I found very interesting. So this shows the worldview. I, I believe that this demonstrates a worldview that he had even when he wrote that. He commented, quote, oh, le- sorry, let me give a little, more, um, a little more context. This has to do with the freedom of religion. So you figure you have the overarching principle of this life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Then you get in, within the, the Declaration of Independence to Um, to some of the rights in our Constitution, the uh, First Amendment, which uh, includes the uh, freedom of religion. And so as it relates to the concept of freedom of religion, even though Jefferson himself was not uh, religious and, and, as far as we know, was not a Christian, he said, quote, it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no god. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg, close quote. So within that quote, what we see is that Jefferson's perspective of allowing people to believe what they want to believe and to exercise their freedom of religion is associated with finances and with basically uh, physical... Uh, physical health. So if what you believe doesn't interfere with my bank account or me physically, knock yourself out. And that is kind of, kind of a staunchly American concept, right? Hey, as long as you don't mess with me, you can do anything you want. That, that, that's kind of a historically um, American thing perspective to take. But when we think about the fabric and that worldview that Jefferson had, we realize that those boundaries that even he, as a non-Christian, had in, when he made that quote, is kind of blown up when we think about how, where we've gotten to today. Our culture has changed so dramatically that it actually questions what precedes this comment. In other words... I think what it brings into question is who gets to enjoy this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's the who. Who is entitled to inalienable rights? Or to put a little bit finer point on it, who qualifies as a person? So in today's life, I guess I didn't... Uh, Yeah, I have personhood up there, so in today, there's a distinction that's made that was not made at that time, and that distinction is the distinction between life and personhood. The famous Princeton ethicist, so Peter Singer, described personhood as something that exists when there is a self-consciousness the ability to express oneself and to act deliberately to achieve happiness. So in his framework, from his worldview, an embryo would be considered to have life, but it would not be considered to have personhood. It's not a person. It can't make decisions for itself. So you can probably see how now this flawed thinking this sinful thinking, bears itself out in our culture. If you're going to make this division between life and personhood, yes, something is living, but it, it doesn't automatically gain personhood, then what are some of the natural consequences of that perspective? What do you think? Okay, so you get abortion. You're like, well, I don't want it. It's not a person. I get to, to do that if we want. How, how else might that? Wayne Oh, there you go. hadn't even thought about it. So slavery. Uh, uh, so subtracting out personhood for uh, probably for a little bit different reason. Sean?: Correct. Right. Some people that have lost their thinking capacity uh, and euthanasia. Exactly. So uh, you get to birth defects. Hey, this child is probably going to um, um, have some kind of deficiency, therefore, and it's not a person yet. So, you know, you can get rid of the child. Somebody is old enough. Um, You can um, put to death the person that is at the point that can't think uh, the mentally handicapped, um, any, any of these categories that don't fit this idea of personhood. In that case, this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness does not apply to them. Now, I promise you I'm getting to scripture and we're going to see how all these things tie together. So. Um, so the natural outcome of all of that, then, of this, because we're, what we're doing is I'm trying to help you think through the progression Remember, we started historically, of these, the philosophical thought of some of those uh, folks from the past, and so this just continues to make its way. And so the natural consequence, what we're really talking about is this idea of utilitarianism. So um, it basically creates a morally defensible position to make decisions based on, and this is a quote from Truman, that which gives the most happiness to, to most of the people involved. That which gives the most happiness to most of the people involved. So, not being a person means you have no personal rights. So, you know, kind of along the same lines for what we were just saying, if somebody is a dementia patient, if they cannot cognitively um, determine a show a volition, a desire to pursue these things, then they no longer count as a person. Now we start to take this into the topic of what, of what we've been looking at, and we have um, what Truman referred to as the psychologized selfhood of today. So, now you have the idea that mental suffering is a criteria for suffering and not just physical. So let's look at a few biblical truths that kind of counter what we're looking at here as it relates to this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think one of our main difficulties is this idea right here, what our H stands for is happiness. And what is a word that Christians, we're not usually ones that that throw down the word happiness quite so much. What, what other words do we tend to use? Okay, joy, absolutely, joy, which definitely has a different implication. And then um, there's another one that's even a little more Christian y. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Wayne. Blessed. Too blessed to be stressed, right? Ble- and, and blessed gets thrown out there as almost a synonym for happiness, in a sense. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Um, and frequently that's thrown out there when things are going well. Oh, I'm so blessed. I just got this new fill-in-the-blank. I'm so blessed. Um, I just paid off my house. I'm so blessed. I just, you know, all these things are positive. Um, So who's got my Psalm 1? Cindy D. Look, armed with the mic. All right, I know that we read at least a portion of this in the past, but go ahead and read all of Psalm chapter 1.
1: Blessed is the man who walks... But are like chaff that the wind drives away, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sorry, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish
0: okay, so right at the outset there of this um, The the whole psalm has to do with contrasting the way of the righteous against the way of the wicked. And right there in the first words of Psalm 1 is blessed is the man. So we already are going to get some kind of context of what blessing is about. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, and here we get the positive description of what it is to be blessed. His delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is a complete departure from what the world would say in their version of happy or blessed. Um, is not delighting in the law of the Lord. I liked actually uh, in my Ligonier Bible the, the little study note there said, uh, to, "quote To be blessed is to enjoy God's special favor." And grace so uh, let's look at a couple more Matthew 5 2 to 12 Glenda Mm
1: -hmm. please and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy
0: Think about the description here. We have an entire list of what it means to be blessed. If you are poor in spirit, if you mourn for the meek, for those that are hungry and thirsty, for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted. You are blessed when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When is the last time that you woke up after somebody had had reviled you, uttered all kinds of evil against you, and and your thought was, your response was, praise God, I'm blessed. Mm. Too blessed to be stressed? Uh, not so much, Glenda. Did you?
1: Um, when you were talking about the personhood and trying to find that ideal for birth defects, my mind went right to Hitler and that ideal race that he was trying to right. create, which is just more than awful. But um, that—that's one of the ways where it just really went off the track.
0: Right. When when sin it, when. God lifts the restraint on sin, and man's heart gets to exercise this to a greater degree. Then those are those are the outcomes that we get. Um, so, uh, I wanted to mention this. It, it, it this was well uh, providential. I when I the the Matthew five reference that Glenda just read, I accidentally turned when I was going through this stuff, I accidentally turned to Mark chapter 5 um, the first time, and I was looking at it, and I was trying to associate it, and um, Jasmine's going to read it here in just a second, but the this is a portion of the account of the man that was uh, had all of the demons, and so I was thinking through that, and I thought this is interesting. Here, you know, we just listed all the different ways that our our world, our civilization, I would, you know, we can at least speak to the American culture wants to subtract personhood, the things that subtract personhood. So we were talking about um, children in the womb, or the elderly, or those that are not mentally uh, fit, or uh, that somehow these people get their personhood subtracted. And in reading this account about the man that, um, with all of the demons, it, it made me look at that in a different way. So, uh, Jasmine, go ahead and read Mark 5, verses 1 to 5. So it's describing that man.
1: They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the... Gerasenes? Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones.
0: Okay, so here you have a man that is mad. He's cutting himself. They've tried to bind him. They can't even bind him. He's crazy. He's gross. He's naked. He's naked. He's living among the dead. In our world today, I would suggest that that person is going to lack identity. <laughs> that living human is going to lack identity as a person. Or there would be an argument in our culture that says that person, that, that, that man does not deserve an identity as a person. And yet, what is it that Jesus does? <laughs> Jesus sees him and changes his life, saw him as worthy or, or uh, he, he decided to um, love him enough to rid him of this demonic possession and to make him one of his own. And then uh, lastly for this section here, Jeremiah 1 five. Cindy.
1: Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations.
0: Okay, so again, um, a very familiar verse. Before we're even born, God is assigning identity. God is assigning worth. God is assigning value while the child is still in the womb. So I saw some people kind of kind of with half hands and doing the squirrely thing, like they kind of had something to say. So let me just take a break right there and just give an opportunity if anybody had any questions or comments? Anyone? You talking to me?
2: Well, on the previous screen, it was the blessed is this, blessed is that. I mean, it's not like the world wants us to be happy, but that doesn't say blessed, happy. It's just blessed, right? right? We're going to get blessings, but not happiness and May not, may not feel joyful through that, but it's...
0: Yeah, I think uh, it, maybe I should have done a better job. I think that it isn't that the world wants to use the term blessed. I think our, I think within the Christian um, culture, we have a tendency to associate blessed with being happy, whereas when we see the biblical view of blessing, it's delighting in the law of the Lord, and then it's actually outlined in, in Matthew 5 all these different ways that we should consider ourselves blessed all the way to the point of being persecuted and reviled we should be able to walk away from that and say, I'm blessed, as difficult as that is. Sean. So we've been talking a lot about personhood and how the world today defines personhood. Um, In previous weeks, uh,
1: which I'm assuming it's like earlier in the book, um, we talked about how man and woman are made in the image of God,
0: right? So we could say, um, I believe it's safe to say, "This, this is how God defines personhood is that we are made in his image. So all those made in his image have personhood according to the word. Amen. Right. And so we're going to continue to see how this, uh, this, these concepts, they never hold still, right? They're never contained, even if you give them quarter. You know, you give them, you're like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll let you have this, but no further. It never stays there. It always continues on. So I want to kind of take you through a, a series of events. The first is in 1996, this just seems crazy in our minds, the politics and how things have changed and how it's changed so quickly. In 1996, President Clinton signed into law the Defense of Marriage Act. Do you know what the, the, that Defense of Marriage Act said? It recognized that marriage was between one man and one woman. 1996. Democratic Democrat president, signed into law, that marriage was between one man and one woman. And the reason that that was signed into law is because it had a direct correlation to federal benefits. Basically, the federal government was only going to give benefits that, re- that uh, were held by married couples if it was a situation that existed between one man and one woman. That sounds like some pretty familiar language to Christians, right? I mean, that's straight, out of, that's straight out of Genesis, kind of tying to what uh, Sean was just mentioning. Okay, so how does the progression then? So this is how things go. That was in 1996. So by 2000, uh, 2007, rather, a lesbian couple that married in Canada moved to New York, and one of the two died in 2009, and then the survivor wanted federal benefits. She wanted to be able to, to gain federal benefits because of this Defense of Marriage Act that was in place. She did not qualify to receive these federal benefits, so she sues. And um, what ends up happening is now things have shifted so much that the Justice Department makes a statement that says, we're not gonna fight this. We're not, just let, let it roll. So in 2012, The Defense of Marriage Act is overturned by the Supreme Court. But this is how crazy these things go. So again, this goes back to what the comment I was just making about how when we think through, okay, well, fine, we'll give you this much, that it doesn't stay there. It just doesn't work that way. And so this is what ends up happening, is that uh, I need to read this quote for one of the justices, resulting from this ruling of overturning that act, so that this woman would um, get the federal benefits, uh, DOMA's so the Defense of Marriage Act's unusual deviation from the usual. Tradition of recognizing and accepting state definitions of marriage here operates to deprive same-sex couples of the benefits and responsibilities that come with the federal recognition of their marriages. This is strong evidence of a law having the purpose and effect of disapproval of that class. The avowed purpose and practical effect of the law here in question are to impose a disadvantage, a separate status and so a stigma upon all who enter into same-sex marriages made lawful by the unquestioned authority of the states. Now, I'm not sure you grasp what just took place in that statement. They took, they didn't just say um, that this woman and other same-sex couples are now qualified to receive the benefits federal benefits. They assigned something to it. Did you catch what it was? Stigma and disapproval. To even have the law is to assign a stigma or disapproval. So, and it is to impose a disadvantage. Uh, Truman said, basically, uh, this is what Truman said, quote, in Windsor, so this, this, this um, case is referred to as the Windsor case, in Windsor, the Supreme Court dismisses 2,000 years of Christian thinking and many more of Jewish thought as nothing more than irrational bigotry. So by the Supreme Court saying that the law imposed a disadvantage and that put a stigma on that particular group, what happened then is, it, by making that statement, the reverse takes place. Which means, if you do believe in the language of marriage is between one man and one woman, you are now putting a stigma, you are disapproving, you are, you know, in the language we've been using, you are subtracting the authenticity away from somebody else. See, it wasn't just a legal, money, dollars and cents change. This is a philosophical change that has an impact on our culture. And as you move through time, these are the seeds of something that, of, of a phrase that we never used before that's become very familiar with us today. These become the seeds of the cancel culture, right? Because now, if you believe that, then that you are assigning disadvantage, you are saying something negative about me personally because you believe something different than what I believe and so therefore, uh, you should be canceled what you're, saying, what you're saying is absolutely wrong. So then you go forward through, uh, through time and you get the Obergefell decision which is the famous uh, Supreme Court decision um, uh, regarding um, same-sex marriages It then proceeds on, which has an impact on overturning a law that put restrictions on abortions. All of these things are connected. It's not just one thing happens chronologically later. There are actual legal connections and we're not gonna get in that much detail. And then uh, in that overturning the law that put restrictions on abortions, uh, the uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, this is what he wrote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters could not define the attributes of personhood where they formed under compulsion of the state. So again, we see how all of these concepts that started hundreds of years ago, and of course I'm sure we can make an argument from Genesis 3.15, but in any case, as it relates to to our society here. It started back there where they were espoused, they make their way into art, and it's like, well, who's paying attention to all those philosophers? Well, the artists are. Who's paying attention to the artists? Well, the, the, the people looking at it is, and well, who, you know, does that really have an impact? Well, it makes its way eventually to the Supreme Court of the United States, Well, how often are you paying any attention to the rulings, you know, other than this single one here or that one there, you know, these individual ones paying attention to that? Well, next thing you know, we're living in a culture. This is how we got here. This is how these things happen to the point where we have a justice that is now also using language that has to do with personhood that is saying that uh, we could not define attributes of personhood. And I would even say that that justice probably did not Think about the fact that one of his successive uh, justice nominees would take that a step further and say, "No, I don't. I can't define a, biologically the difference between a man and a woman. I can't tell you what a woman is." I, it just, it doesn't stop. It just keeps that train just keeps right on going. Okay, so um, as it relates to the LGBTQ plus, the idea of tolerance would never be enough. So in that quote, that I, the previous quote that I read to you, um, where we see that shift in, in the, the, not only the legalization of, of giving the benefits, but now that, that association that took place of assigning basically guilt on anybody that does believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, tolerance is not good enough because to tolerate is to fail to approve which is to disapprove. It's, that's the thinking. Well, you don't, appro- you, you don't approve of it, which means you disapprove of it. And if you disapprove now, you are attacking me personally. So this is where I'm hoping. I, I'm hoping that this, this flow of thought is beneficial to you, that, that this entire series in thinking this way will benefit you because basically the evil one is using sleight of hand and has used our legal system to take something away from evangelizing Christians, okay? This is is how I'm wanting you to think. You have a responsibility to take the gospel to a a dying and and fallen world, right? There's no question that that is the responsibility of every Christian, okay? Well, in fact, let me ask this question. Why do we share the gospel? This this is probably a good way to go about it. Okay, for God's glory. Best best answer ever. Thank you. Why else do we share the gospel? Okay, obedience. Also, great answer. Sean? Okay, to expand the kingdom. Good. Pastor? Hey, there we go. Okay, so think about this. The great command, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So, in a sense, if we want to say, I'm just kind of boiling it down here. All of these answers have been correct. If I'm boiling it down here, we say, well, my goodness, I, if I'm going to honor my God and love my neighbor, I need to evangelize. Like, that's, it's just kind of right there, right? 101. Do you realize in this way of thinking, in that decision, in the legal statement that was made that's now impacted our culture, do you realize what was taken away in that in, in, or, or what has... What took a hit in that greatest command? In, as far as our motivation, it's probably a terribly worded question. But what has happened? Uh, Wayne, do you have a? Do you want to offer? Okay, let me just. I'll, I'll just cut to it. Which is, ideally, we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we love our God and we love our neighbor. Our culture, based on these things we're talking about, is automatically coming from the perspective of, if you are saying this to me, you do not love me. You hate me. You disapprove of me. My culture, it isn't just your belief that you're trying to share with me. The very fact that you hold that belief, and certainly the very fact that you are trying to communicate that truth with me, means that you disapprove of me. Now, it's its own sermon in itself about the idea of, of hating the sin and loving the sinner thing. Okay, um, I'm not speaking about God Okay, from God's perspective, but from our perspective, when we go to a fallen world and we consider the concept of evangelizing or bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a fallen world and to people that fit into these groups, LGBTQ+, right? Is it appropriate for us to hate the sin? Yes? Okay. Is it appropriate for us to love the sinner? Yes, right? So, that is a space that society is, has subtracted out of the equation. You don't get to hate the sin and love the sinner. If you don't love the sin, then you hate the sinner. You see the the trickery? The, the, and we don't, and that's why I, I think this is helpful. This is why this class has been helpful for me. You think through these things so that you can more effectively carry out the Great Commission, that you can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and say, and know from the outset, okay, they probably have a, a because they're just saturated by this culture. They already have an outlook that has said, if you're going to talk to me about things like Jesus and sin and law, then you hate me. And if you know that going in, then ideally you can talk to people more effectively and say, look, I need you to know something. I love you and I love my God and I want you to know it. that it's because I love my God and because I love you that I want to communicate to you the truth of repentance and faith. You see, just having that in your mind as, as the background and having thought through these concepts, I believe makes us a more effective evangelist. Um, of course, the irony, Rob Roy, i thought of you here, but uh, the irony here is that the biblical truths that are contrary to the LGBTQ plus perspective is hate speech, which are canceled, must be suppressed, and anyone subjected to it is a victim. Sorry, that's its own separate thing. So that's all, all, all part of it. So So that idea of if you have anything to say against it, you should be canceled. But anyway, here's the the irony. The result is that radical individual freedom has led to rather authoritarian forms of social control. Yes, and this is a quote from Truman, by the way. Quote, radical individual freedom has led to rather authoritarian forms of social control. Close quote. Somebody else's, uh, the cult the, the freedom now, said you may not. You, Christian, may not. Because if you do, you disapprove of me. You won't authenticate me. You are attacking me. You must be canceled. You must be punished. Which is n- the exact opposite of individual freedom. You can see how the whole thing doesn't... It, stigmatized, to use the terms of uh, a Supreme Court justice. PJ, did you? Uh, oh my goodness, 43.
2: Yeah, oh boy. In thinking about the trap for us is I think they have determined the battleground for this authoritarian control and we keep trying to Often, or we're tempted to fight in the same battleground, which is use the government to create authoritarian control. Correct. I mean, we, great Bill Clinton signed a law preserving marriage. We know his view of marriage and how that plays out and how highly he respected his own marriage. Um, so the idea of trying to enforce law on a national level, all of those things maybe there's there's generally good intent but clearly here I lo- what I love about what you're teaching is the battleground is in the hearts of men and not solely focused on supreme court or government or it is it is very easy to sit back and to be tempted to sit back and revile against the sin and then think that a law or fighting or politics will save us the reality is Christ the only thing that will save yep. And we are called to go out to our neighbors and share that Christ. Um, And so I think that's the temptation I imagine within the church is to go, wait, we're feeling the pressure or barriers of evangelism being put up. Let's go back in those same battlegrounds and same methods and try to win that. When in reality, we've been told, yeah, you're going to be reviled now. Blessed are you. All, All the more blessed I'm going to be now because I'm reviled for it. So. Um, I think it's just an easy trap and temptation for us as Christians to play their game rather than God's game.
0: I agree. All right, we are going to read Scripture really fast. Uh, Colossians two eight. Carol, go. Because this is going to tie directly. Carol, we're going to Carol. We're going to Carol. We're skipping Cindy. Did I skip Cindy? Jeremiah. Okay. Uh, sorry, skipping you, Cindy. I apologize. We are okay. Yep, skipping Cindy. Oh wow. Wow. Uh, Cindy was canceled. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Colossians 2 8, go.
1: See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tra- tradition, according to the elementary prince spirits of the world, and not according to
0: Christ. Tammy.
1: But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. Uh, to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our lord jesus christ so then brothers stand firm and hold Amen. to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter
0: okay so this ties directly and and mark we're i'm canceling more people sorry we're going all the way to whoever has luke six. Oh, <laughs> cindy Luke six twenty seven to thirty one. You've been uncancelled All right. So anyway, while she's looking that up, Luke six twenty seven to thirty one. Uh, while she's looking that up, uh, the, the what I wanted to point out, and I think it ties directly to what PJ was saying, which is our job is to be held is not to be held captive. By the vain philosophies of this world, and then uh, the other scripture we read out of second Thessalonians chapter two is that we are to stand firm in the truths of scripture. Our hope is not in the Supreme Court or anyone else. okay, Cindy, last last uh, thing here
1: but I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them.
0: Okay, this is a reminder that when we go into the world to be faithful to evangelize because we love our God and we love our neighbor, that when they misunderstand what you're doing, when they misinterpret what you're doing, when their worldview is at complete odds with what it is that you're doing, and you are reviled, not only are you blessed, but you are not to lash out, not to punish that person, uh, but um, but to turn the other cheek and to continue to be faithful to God. And the last thing that I want to mention... Uh, this is always a good reminder when we when we think about all these things and we start it starts to feel heavy or we feel bogged down by the what what all is taking place in our world if you consider hebrews chapter 11 which is the hall of faith it has a list of men and women that are in the hall of faith they have made scripture their names have been made scripture in something we refer to as the Hall of Faith and they were terribly flawed people in really really bad circumstances Uh, Noah, Abraham, Jacob Gideon, Samson, Jephthah I mean if we were to start I mean Samson come on that guy was a wreck Jephthah offering you know his daughter's life I mean the whole thing is just nuts and yet they are declared as faithful and God is executing his perfect and sovereign will our hope is in our sovereign God. Let us continue to love God and to love our neighbor, but to go into the world, not just innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity for the class. Bless the service that follows. May you be high and lifted up in the singing. May you be high and lifted up in the gospel presentation of the Lord's Supper. May you be high and lifted up in the preaching of your most holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.